Welcome to the ESET Research Podcast, where we share with you the latest findings from our researchers, threat analysts, reverse engineers, and data scientists from all over the world. I'm ESET's distinguished researcher, Ari Goretsky, and your host, and I am very pleased to let you know we have a fantastic guest joining us today, ESET malware researcher, Zuzana Hronsova. Welcome to the podcast, Susanna. Thanks for being with us today on our very first episode. Hello, Ari. Thank you for having me. Today, Susanna will be speaking with us about her deep dive into the world of IIS malware and what she's found so far during this ongoing investigation. So let's dive right in. What exactly did you find? Of course, so IIS malware, well, that's a little known class of threats, uh, which is targeting IIS servers. This uh, IIS abbreviation stands for Internet Information Services, which is Microsoft Web Server Software. And this class of threats, IIS malware, uses access to these IIS servers, to these compromised servers, for all kinds of um, malicious activities, from cybercrime to cyber espionage, even SEO fraud. So. In, at ESET Research, we looked into this category of these threats and we looked at what kind of techniques uh, these malware families are using, but also what they have in common. So we tried to extract the common features of all of these IIS malware families, regardless of the malware type. And we tried to put together a guide on how everyone can detect, analyze and well protect against these threats. Now, IIS has been around since the days of Windows NT. Why is it all of a sudden being targeted now? Well, it's not only now. Actually, the first known IIS malware family has been reported in 2013. So there have been some cases of IIS malware families reported in the past. We know at least about four or five of these families. Uh, why it was interesting for us is that there was no comprehensive guide on how to tackle these kind of threats. And we didn't have any public resources on how to better understand these tactics and techniques. But why is it uh, increasingly interesting for the attackers? Well, there are several reasons. So first of all, we are talking about server-side threats, right? So when they're part of the server, they have access to all the communication which is flowing through the server. And also they can change what the server will serve. So using these two powers, these malware uh, families can, well, eavesdrop on the communications, steal information that's flowing between the server and its clients, but they can also reach out to all the legitimate users of services which are hosted on these servers to spread further malware or to conduct espionage operations. So that's um, particularly powerful place to start your espionage or even cybercrime operations if you are the attacker. Now, IIS by its very nature is going to be public facing on the internet. So shouldn't all the communications to and from it be encrypted? How is the IIS malware able to bypass that? Well, it doesn't need to bypass this encryption. The malware is operating on the server side, right? So even if HTTPS is used, for example, for some e-commerce transaction between an e-commerce website and a customer who is trying to pay something online. So you could have credit card information in that kind of request. Well, even if this kind of communication or this kind of information is encrypted, 
uh, in the channel where it's transmitted, then on the server this data needs to be processed and the data will be processed in the unencrypted state. So the malware will see everything that the server will see, which means that uh, the, the encryption use, uh, during the transmission doesn't really play any role here. Wow. So the attacker has access to everything the server does. Uh, I have to say that that's kind of scary. Uh, this seems to be like it would be a major vulnerability for e-commerce sites where uh, customers' credit card data, addresses, other PII could just be stolen. Uh, is this the most common attack that you've seen? Or are there other types of attacks going on as well? Um, no, e-commerce is just one part of IS malware's targets. Uh, we did also see several malware families who were uh, conducting espionage. So there were a lot of IS backdoors, which were targeting especially exchange email servers with OWA service. And this OWA, or Outlook on the Web, that's uh, relying on IIS. That's why uh, the attackers are using IIS malware to spy on these servers. So in this case, we have seen a lot of different campaigns of threat actors using known vulnerabilities to spread to vulnerable exchange email servers and then to conduct espionage on these servers. So if an OWA server was compromised, the attacker could see all of the email going through it? Well, unless the email is encrypted end-to-end. Uh, well, hopefully most people are encrypting their email. Now, you've presented at Black Hat 2021 on this, and your paper is available for download on WeLiveSecurity.com, as are several follow-up blog posts giving further details of your investigations into these various groups of IIS malware. This is ongoing research, so the number is going to change as time goes on, but how many different groupings of IIS malware have you observed so far? Mm -hmm. So we started from what was already public record. So as I said, that was maybe four to five already known IIS malware families. And from there, we uh, extracted the common features of these malware families, and we tried to find uh, any malware family that we could lay our hands on. So from our telemetry, from Rouse Total, and uh, all in all, we collected uh, over 80 samples that we analyzed, and uh, these were uh, sorted into 14 malware families. So uh, we documented 10 more previously unknown IS malware families. And yes, from these, um, there were some which were used for cybercrime, some for cyber espionage. And that's why on top of writing the comprehensive paper where you have the full details of all these malware families and all the features of IS malware, that's why we also published our series where we put three of these families uh, that we featured um, and we put them under the microscope to see the distinctive features of these uh, IIS malware types in more detail. So it was to illustrate how very different these malware families can be and how diverse this class of threats can be. You mentioned during your analysis that you had found 80 samples. That does not sound like a lot of affected computers, but we're talking about servers here, not desktop PCs. So how many users were impacted? 
Was it hundreds, thousands, millions, perhaps? Oh, well, first of all, so what I meant was that we analyzed over 80 unique samples. That, of course, doesn't mean that that was 80 computers. So, of course, one sample can be used on dozens of servers by a particular threat actor in a campaign. Uh, so these two uh, do not correlate in any way. But as for the victims, uh, yes, that's true that one way of looking at victims of IIS malware is to just look at servers. So how many IIS servers are out, are out there and could be potentially um, affected by IIS malware? But then there's the other way of looking at it. How many services are running on these servers and how many users are using these services? And of course, that's really hard to estimate, especially if you have servers with uh, several websites hosted on them and these websites are popular among users so all of these users or all of these visitors are of course potentially affected or not so that's why it's really difficult to estimate uh, how widespread this malware is but just some quick numbers uh, we know that the di software it's estimated that it's being used by four to seven percent of websites so that could give you an idea of uh, the possible scale and also i mentioned the exchange email servers with owa service enabled so we ran a short query to estimate the number of such public facing servers and the number is uh, around 200,000. So that of course doesn't mean that all of them were affected. Uh, it's just the scale of potential targets uh, for this malware. And this is uh, what shows us that why it's important to look more closely into these kinds of threats uh, because they have a huge potential uh, base of targets. Did you come across any particular industries or sectors that were being more heavily targeted? Uh, were there families that seemed to target specific victims? Well, we already mentioned the e-commerce malware, right? So maybe let's now uh, look at something else. Uh, we analyzed or we uncovered a campaign which was spreading through the infamous uh, proxy logon vulnerability chain um, that was earlier this year. So this vulnerability chain um, affects vulnerable exchange email servers and uh, this campaign seemed to target specifically high-profile users in Southeast Asia so several government institutions were affected um, so you can see this as a way to spy on government mailboxes which is very different than uh, the, the other families which were up to uh, e-commerce websites and their customers that's a pretty broad range of use by the attackers. You mentioned you saw these mostly in Asia. Has it been a global phenomenon, though, or is it just specific targets in Asia? Oh, well, there was just that one particular campaign. Of course, we are talking about 14 malware families, but one malware family could be used in different campaigns in their various alterations. And uh, we cannot generalize this because these are different threat actors and their goals do not align. So, of course, if we put together the data from all of these malware families, it's a worldwide phenomenon. It's just if we look closer at one particular family, we can see a focus on Southeast Asia. Um, other families were more focused in the US and Canada in the, the private uh, sector. So it's really a wide range of threats and there is no point in putting all of this data together because these attackers don't have anything in common 
except the fact that they chose the same technical way on how to implement their malware, which is native IIS extensions. Regardless of which family the IIS malware is grouped into, it's implemented as a native IIS extension. What exactly are native IIS extensions, and how is it that the attackers were able to plant malicious ones on servers? Yes, that's a good question. So first of all, this IIS software, it has a modular architecture since its version 7. So I think that's back in 2007. And since then, you can extend the functionality of this software by writing a specific module. So either you can write a native module, which is a C++ library, or a managed module, a .NET assembly. So we were looking specifically at malicious native IIS modules. So these, as I already mentioned, are C++ libraries, and the attackers first need to get access to the comp to the servers. So um, usually this was done by server exploitation, but of course that's not the only scenario. And then they need to get admin privileges because uh, to install native IIS malware or to configure it as native IIS extension, you need to have those privileges. But after that, after the library is configured as a native IIS extension, then the attackers uh, don't need to care about execution or persistence because this is a very effective persistent mechanism. This library will be loaded every time uh, the computer starts up uh, because IIS software is by default persistent as a service. And then um, the IIS worker process, which basically handles all incoming HTTP requests, uh, this process loads all configured IIS modules. So being a part of this IIS worker process, the malware can then influence and listen to all the server communication. And it's doing this uh, using a, a event-driven architecture. So whenever the IIS server processes a new HTTP request, this is processed in a series of steps which are called events. And now all IIS modules, not just malicious modules, but also in general, they can register for these events. So this is how IIS malware operates. It registers for certain server events, for example, um, before the server response is sent or right after there is a new HTTP request, or maybe uh, whenever the request will get logged. So the malware can register for these events and interfere with how these events will be handled. So this is basically how all IS malware families operate regardless of their goal. This is how they're designed. That's just fascinating. It sounds like the attackers can use uh, IIS malware to do anything they want on the server. How is it that the attackers are communicating with their malware exactly? Are they interacting with it through a CNC server? Are there exfiltration commands hard-coded into the malware? Or are some of them just running autonomously with no contact at all with their creators? Well, this again depends on the particular malware family. What maybe is interesting is for IIS backdoors, they're usually implemented as passive network implants. So it's the attacker who initiates the connection and not the other way around as uh, with common backdoors. So in this case, the attacker uses the fact that this is HTTP uh, server. So it's possible to send them requests. 
And what they do usually is that they send some specific control request that the malware can recognize is coming from the attacker. And then the malware will parse the request, uh, extract the backdoor commands, and then embed the command result to the HTTP response. But these uh, control requests are actually quite interesting. Uh, there needs to be some way of communication between the attacker and the malware. And usually this is done by embedding some kind of password or some token, either in the HTTP request body or in the headers or in the URI. But in one case of a malware family called ISPy, what we could see was that there was no secret embedded, but there was a more complex hidden relationship in the within the HTTP request of the attacker. So in that case, the malware would filter the request by calculating hash values of HTTP headers and of the URL, and then reshuffling them and comparing it in a certain way, uh, in a way of knowing whether this is a control request or not. And why I mentioned this is that this is an interesting anti-detection technique, because if you have say a specific HTTP header that you know that this particular malware family uses for control requests, then you as a defender can easier, easily spot these headers in the log. So that can help you with protection or uh, with forensics. But doing it this way uh, by making some hidden relationship uh, between these uh, parts of the HTTP request makes this uh, work much harder. So that's why probably these attackers chose to do it this way. That seems like a sophisticated method for obscuring your C2 comms. Once you started reversing the malware, did you notice any anti-debugging tricks, uh, code obfuscation, or anything else that made it more difficult for you to analyze the code? Well, surprisingly, they weren't that heavily obfuscated as you would have with other advanced malware families that we normally analyze. So, of course, there was some encryption, code obfuscation, some strings uh, encryption, but nothing that I would say was uh, particularly advanced. And I think um, there are two reasons for that. So the first one is that not a lot of um, I servers use uh, security software and not a lot of attention has been paid to this class of threats. Uh, there are many different types of threats. So of course, sometimes uh, some of them just haven't got their moment yet to uh, get the attention of security researchers. So maybe the malware authors didn't feel like they needed to um, work hard to obfuscate their threats. But on the other way, uh, some parts of IIS malware design are making the analysis or the detection harder implicitly. So for example, uh, these um, IIS modules don't use uh, the traditional Windows ABI functions, which uh, some uh, basic detection mechanisms use, but instead they use IIS API. So that can thwart some simple detection methods. And of course, also this passive uh, CNC mechanism that I just described. Well, that means that there is no CNC server hardcoded. So again, something that you would usually see in malware families. So when we put it together, maybe um, they are not as complex as they will be in the future when 
more attention will be paid to AI's malware. It seems like defenders have their work cut out for them protecting IIS servers. Do you know if it is particularly common for organizations to run security software on their IIS servers, or do they leave them just out there unprotected in a DMZ, um, which sounds like a very weird place to put a Windows server on the internet? Well, I don't have any statistics for that. All I can say is that I wish that uh, all of the servers were protected and that more attention was paid to this. In your paper, you published all the IOCs known for the various forms of IIS malware, and that list will be getting updated on ESET's GitHub as time goes on. If a server admin comes along, looks at these, and finds out their IIS server's been popped, what should they be doing? Oh, well, first of all, if they already identified the module, then that's uh, the hardest part, right? So if... Uh you know or suspect that you are uh, compromised but you haven't found the malicious module yet, uh, there are several ways of how you can identify those. So there are several built-in tools uh, on the IIS server, such as IIS Manager, uh, which is a graphical user interface tool, or appcmd.exe, uh, which you can use with the command line, or you can just check the configuration file as detailed in the paper. So basically, using these tools, you can list all the native IS modules which are configured on the server. And then from there, you need to go to the actual files, so the actual DLL files, and check whether they're legitimate. So either you can use our free online scanner to verify that um, they're malicious or not, or you can use the error rules that we have put together to check whether they match to the 14 known malware families, or you can um, verify that they're assigned by a trusted provider or that you recognize that you um, install these uh, modules and you know that they're legitimate. Uh, but anyway, if you identify that one of these are malicious, then just removing the module itself from the server, well, that's the easy part. You can use the same tools that I mentioned uh, uh, just a few seconds ago uh, to get rid of this particular module. But that's, uh, there's a catch, of course. Um, if you do not plan to reinstall the server immediately, just keep in mind that there can be other malware families installed on the server. There can be other components of the malware. So it's not that the attackers uh, only ever use native IIS modules. There can be other malicious components on the server. So if you do not plan to reinstall it, then at least scan for these additional malware families um, at least um, make sure that the server is up to date and all the vulnerabilities are patched because the attackers, well, they had to come into that server in some way, right? So we should make sure that the, all the doors are closed. So that also includes changing the admin pa administration password and making sure that there are no um, services exposed to the internet that shouldn't really be exposed. For those of our listeners who are IIS server administrators, well, the best way is to prevent those common scenarios. So to prevent server exploitation, make sure you have your software and OS up to date. So uh, make sure that you are patching all the vulnerabilities. And also, as I mentioned, consider which services are exposed to the internet because that can reduce the attack surface. And then, of course, you should be aware where the configuration of the server is located so that you are able to keep an eye on what is running on your server. 
And even if you don't use a web application firewall or a security solution, which would be recommended, then at least uh, check this configuration to make sure that you have everything under control. But of course, not all the users of IIS servers are also IIS server administrators. So let's uh, imagine that you are running uh, an e-commerce website, which is hosted on a server, which is not under your control. Well, then, of course, in that case, these measures don't apply to you, but you can still affect the security of your user's data by the, uh, using safe web development practices uh, and especially by making sure that you are not sending um, sensitive information to the server unless that's necessary. So, for example, do you send passwords in plain text or do you send credit card information to the server or are these handled on the client side or are they handled by some third party providers? And a similar suggestion um, applies to the user. So of course, from the perspective of the visitor, uh, there is no way how you can know whether the server uh, on which the website is hosted is compromised. But if you want to avoid scenarios such as malware stealing credit card information, then maybe uh, a good way of thinking about this is to prioritize some trusted third-party providers to handle the payment information, because in that case, your credit card information is not sent to the e-commerce website. So especially if it's some website with unknown reputation, that might be a good idea to protect your credit card information. So um, just in general, make sure that uh, you are careful where you put this information and also uh, you keep an eye on your credit card statements for some unusual activities uh, and report all uh, suspicious activities to your bank uh, just to make sure that your credit card uh, is not being misused by the attackers. But other than that, for the users, um, it's uh, not where the main responsibility should lie. That one should be with the server administrators and the web developers. You looked at many families of IS malware. In the course of your investigations, were you able to determine how the servers were compromised and the malware placed on them? Well, that was not the major part of the investigation. So most of the times we were working with raw data, which were just the samples. So for a lot of these malware families, we didn't have the context. But uh, in some cases, we did have uh, some hints on how the malware was introduced. So I already mentioned these five campaigns which were spreading through the proxy logon vulnerability chain. But also there were other families where there were hints of uh, server exploitation as the initial factor. Uh, or, of course, there are other scenarios. For example, we analyzed one malware family, which was delivered as a trojanized IIS module. So thanks to the design of IIS modules in general, it's easy to bundle a legitimate IIS module and uh, add some malicious functionality on top of it. So that can also be a way of how IIS modules can be introduced to the system. So it can be that the administrator by accident installs some rogue version of some legitimate IIS module. And that's really uh, dangerous because by installing this malware or this any library as native IIS extension, you are giving it all the powers uh, 
on the server so it can see all the communication it can see all the data so that's why it's really important to make sure that you pay attention uh, to what kind of extensions you are installing on the server so even if you don't use any security solution on the server at least this part is very important to both uh, make sure that you only ever install legitimate modules and also keep an eye on the configuration to make sure that there were no other modules introduced without your awareness. Thank you very much for sharing your research into IIS Server Malware with us, Susanna. And I hope you'll be back with an update on that or any of your other up-and-coming investigations. Thank you very much. Great talking to you. This has been an ESET Research Podcast with a special guest appearance by malware researcher Zuzana Romtsova. For more information about this or any other topics covered in our podcasts, visit our blog at welivesecurity.com, our Twitter handle at ESET Research, or our code repo at github.com slash ESET. I'm your host, Ari Goretsky. Our producer is Andre Kubovich. Until next time, be well and stay safe.